Hey everybody, it's me Amanda with Once in a Wild and welcome back or welcome in the first place to Once in a Wild Wednesday. We hope you've had a great week so far and we hope that we are going to have a great uh, animal program coming up. I hope you guys enjoy it no matter what happens, right? And this is real life. We are live. This is Once in a Wild. If you've never been here before, my name is Amanda. I'm the founder and animal specialist here at Once in a Wild and uh, we are based in San Antonio, Texas and we are a mobile zoo that brings the zoo to you each and every single Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time because we are in San Antonio, Texas and uh, we bring the zoo to you virtually this way. You can also opt to actually get your own Zoom with the animals. You can purchase one of those with us, your own experience where you get to pick the animals of your choosing. That's a lot of fun. And if you happen to be in our area in San Antonio or surrounding cities in Texas, we can actually bring the zoo to you in person as well. Uh, we are broadcasting each and every Wednesday though for free. And if you guys wanna help us out, you can go to onceinawild.com slash donate to sponsor our animals or donate a amount of your choosing that way. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Alrighty, you guys, welcome back to another Once in a Wild Wednesday. And if this is your first time visiting us for Once in a Wild Wednesday, welcome, and we hope you enjoy. Um, each and every Wednesday, we try to bring a few animals on the show. And sometimes I have an extra human with me, but I happen to be the only human here tonight. Uh, so we're back to a one woman show plus animals, and I hope you don't mind. And hello to our family and friends and followers over on Instagram. We're broadcasting on Instagram as well as, as, well as all of our other social media that we typically broadcast on simultaneously. And we are looking for more YouTube subscribers. So if you do want to help us out for free, a great way to help us out is by following the links below in the description or going over to YouTube, Facebook, whatever your uh, platform of choice is, Instagram as well, of course, and following us over there. We even have a TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn. We've got all the things. So give us a follow or subscription there. That's a great way to help us out. Another great way to help us out is to actually share our videos. Um, we do plan to upload some more videos very soon that are edited. That takes a lot of time though, so uh, stay tuned. <laughs> And we should have some more uploads at some point uh, for you guys to enjoy. But I hope you guys do enjoy the live streams uh, in the meantime. And we have done over well over 100 live streams now, uh, lots and lots of them. There's a playlist on our YouTube for you to rewatch them. And you can also rewatch them on Facebook too and many other places. And uh, if you haven't already, like I said, head out to our, <laughs> head over to our um social medias and click the links down below in the description down below and go ahead and give us a follow subscription or just like and comment on the videos, share them with your family and friends that enjoy animals or enjoy education. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you guys can learn something with us tonight. And uh, we do have three animals coming onto the show this evening and I hope you guys really enjoy them. If you do have any questions or comments for me at all during the segment, whether it be on Instagram or any of the other platforms, feel free to chime in. Don't be shy, keep it family friendly as always because we are a family-friendly channel and company. Um, but other than that, go ahead and uh, ask away and let me know what you would like to know about the animals, uh, what you're up to, how you're doing. I hope everybody's safe and sound and healthy right now. Uh, let me check in with uh, our Instagram followers over here. Hello, Instagram. How are you guys doing? Oh, thank you for the heart and the like. Hello, hello, hello. I can barely see your handles and your names over there and your comments and questions. So please bear with me. I have to kind of bend over and look because I'm a, a little old lady these days. So I have to get closer to look. But if you do have a question, go ahead and uh, type it in down below. 
Give me a comment. Give me a question. Give me some emojis. I love those too. Donna's saying hi. Hi, Donna. Nice to see you. Do you guys like this version of the comments or do you like maybe this version a little bit better? Let's see what happens. Hmm. There's many settings over here on uh, StreamYard is what we stream with for most of our platforms other than Instagram, which I use the old, the good old iPhone over there. <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and do this. I think I kind of like that one a little bit better. Makes it nice and big for everybody to see. Yep, that's me, the little old lady. LOL face. <laughs> Donna Winter, by the way, is my mom and she usually watches the program. She's super supportive. I hope mom is doing well tonight. Hi, mom. And uh, everybody out there say hello to your moms. We're getting red to getting red. We're getting ready to be in February. Before we know it, it's going to be the season of love. So think about your loved ones. But we are still in January and happy new year. If I didn't already say that in the last program, I don't think I even acknowledged the new year. Happy new year. I hope you're having a good one so far. I hope this year is better than the last right? We can all hope that. And I uh, hope we have a great, a great, just a wonderful, positive vibes for the next year coming, right? And uh, we can all hope. <laughs> oh, thank you, mom. Love you too. <laughs> Shout out to all the moms out there doing their best. All right. Happy 2022. I can't believe I'm saying 2022. That's amazing. These last few years have been very, very challenging, but also have flown by if you ask me. So I hope you guys are all doing well. There's some cute emojis. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, the thanking hands or praying hands and a heart and a little kiss. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so cute. Okay, you guys. Well, what's been going on with Once in a While? We've been pretty busy, although this is kind of our slow season. So another great way you can actually help us out is by booking your own animal encounter, like I think I already mentioned. Um, but if you happen to be in our area in the San Antonio, Texas area, an in-person animal encounter is an option for you. If you're social distancing or you happen to be far away from us, we have uh, the option to do a Zoom room with you guys though too. And you get to pick and customize the animals that you get to meet. And you also get to um, basically just have your own private group. You can invite your friends and family and ask all the questions that you would like about the animal and you can get to know them virtually as well. And um, like I said, in-person is also an option for classrooms, for birthday parties, animal therapy sessions, photo ops, mingles, meet and greets. If you can think it up, we can probably bring animals and make your day a lot better. And uh, we would love, love, love to help you out in that way. So let us know if you're interested. You can find more information and our contact number at onceinawild.com. And if you're interested in just giving a little donation or sponsoring our animals, we have sponsorship available on Patreon now. And we also have options for donations like Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal at onceinawild.com slash donate. So we greatly appreciate all of that. And if none of those things are for you, that is okay as well. We understand. Uh, just watching today is a great big help and commenting and sharing and uh, subscribing and following is always a great free way to help us out as well. But I just want to make sure that everybody knows those options. We even have an Amazon wish list on our website as well that you can actually send us items that we've pre-selected for the animals that we need, like animal food, bedding, cleaning supplies, et cetera, et cetera, that we always kind of need. So you can feel free to send us some of that as well if you would like. And that is always a huge help with any sort of animal company. I've worked for several of them in the past, <laughs> as you guys probably know that have watched me before. And uh, every animal company, we constantly need supplies all the time, just like any company really, but us in particular. So let's go ahead and get ready to meet some of these beautiful animals. I've actually uh, brought on three reptiles today for you guys to meet. I hope you guys love reptiles. Reptiles are some of my favorite animals. I am wearing a chameleon shirt today. I'm not really sure exactly what type of chameleon is supposed to be on my shirt. Um, kind of looks like a mix between a flap neck chameleon and a female Jackson's and maybe a veiled chameleon, or it might just be an artistic uh, 
interpretation of a chameleon, but it's a super cute shirt. And I actually got it at Old Navy, not a sponsor. Uh, but I do love this shirt. I don't believe they sell it anymore, but a lot of people did buy this shirt when it came out. And I think it even came with shorts, but I didn't get the shorts. So I'm not that extra. I'm wearing blue jeans today. If you guys can see over on Instagram, uh, just good old blue jeans, but reptiles are some of my favorite animals. They're part of why we started Once in a Wild in the first place, specifically for snakes, because a lot of people misunderstand and are a little bit nervous around snakes, and you might be outright terrified of snakes. Snakes have always been one of my very favorite animals, and I always say they're my favorite animal now because they're very misunderstood. They're super easy to work with for the most part. I mean, they really don't make a big fuss for the most part. Most snakes are very, very easy to work with and hold and, and handle for programs. Um, not every single snake species is appropriate for everybody to be handling, right? Because there are some species that are definitely a risk to handle and hold with your bare hands, for example. Um, some people choose to do that. We don't necessarily have any of those type of snakes, like venomous snakes or anything like that but I do love them equally all the same. Um, I think that snakes are some of the most beautiful and most misunderstood and unfortunately most hated and persecuted of all the animals in the animal kingdom. They serve an amazing like purpose <laughs> in the animal kingdom, which is part of the natural food chain, right? They eat a lot of stuff. They're carnivores. They eat rodents. They eat birds. They eat sometimes other snakes and lizards too, depending on the species. Um, sometimes when snakes are babies, um, they will actually eat all sorts of lizards and things like that. And that goes for lots of different snake species, but that's another tangent I could talk about another time. Uh, yeah, they're not noisy either. Another um, super great thing about working with snakes is they're not super noisy, are they? They're not like birds or some, some noisy mammals, even humans, dogs, um, that are very, very noisy. And I kind of prefer a quieter workplace and household. <laughs> uh, so snakes have always kind of been one of my favorites to take care of. They're very, very quiet and polite. Uh, no claws to scratch you with, right? <laughs> now, they're not without faults themselves. There's definitely snakes that are harder to work with than others. I mean, as you guys know, that have handled any sorts of animals, every snake, every animal has its own personality. You might be surprised to know that snakes do have their own individual personality. Each and every individual is different from another. Even if it's the same species side by side, they're going to have their own personality, but every species kind of has its tendencies. And I have, I definitely have some that I favor a little bit more than the others, but snakes in general are my favorite animal grouping, if you will, because they're just my favorite to work with and very misunderstood. It's great, great, great to teach people about them and kind of change their minds maybe, or at least warm them up to changing their mind about misconceptions they may have. So would you guys like to meet a snake? It's actually our largest snake in the collection currently. It's definitely not the largest snake I've ever handled or worked with in the past. Um, but currently in our collection, we just have a handful of snakes. We've got 12 of them. And this happens to be the largest and he's still growing right now. So I have to actually retrieve him out of his travel bin first so you guys can see him. So I'm going to do that. And then you're going to see him. He has been on the show before, but he might be new to you. I'm not going to assume that you guys have seen him before. Oh, come on, buddy. He is only about four years old. And this guy can get a lot bigger than what he is now. This here is David Boa. <laughs> he's a boa constrictor. And specifically, he's actually a Colombian boa constrictor. He's absolutely gorgeous. Now, he is a hypomelanistic, just ever so slightly. Hypomelanistic just means lighter colored than he would be in the wild. Um, they do have the same pattern as this, more or less. Every individual is an individual. <laughs> they have a different pattern, just like we have a different fingerprint or thumbprint, whatever you want to say. Um, and every human looks different too, right? But for the most part, their pattern is going to look like this, and uh, but be darker most of the time in the wild. Now, every now and then, 
we might see a hypomelanistic or light, lighter colored um, animal in the wild. It might spontaneously happen, but David here was bred with care by a, um, a captive breeder. Well, he's, he's not captive, but he was captive bred. <laughs> the snake was, not the breeder. <laughs> I mean, I guess he was technically as well, <laughs> uh, now that I think about it. Um, but he was captively bred in the care of humans, not wild caught, which is very important to me not to necessarily promote wild catching of certain animals for the pet trade. Um, if we can avoid that when we can, you, you absolutely get a healthier animal for the most part. But my point being is that he was actually selected for his color his parents were anyway. And uh, through through uh, uh, selective breeding, that's what that's the word, selective breeding through lots and lots of fun genetics that I'm not necessarily an expert in. <laughs> uh, because I'm not a snake breeder, I just love them and uh, am a snake uh, expert, if you will. But I definitely don't breed snakes. So I don't know much about it. But what I do know, is that genetics are involved <laughs> and they are selectively bred just like cats and dogs are for their coloration, body features, etc. And he was um, done so, his, his breeder did so, or maybe down generations before this breeder even had his parents um, for the coloration. So it was definitely on purpose <laughs> by humans in this case. And, uh, but it might happen in the wild every now and then. It's just a lot more rare because the more pattern that blends in and hides you from all the things to keep you safe is probably going to uh, live on and continue down your your genetics throughout your babies and all of that. I hope this is making any sense whatsoever. But in the wild, um, whatever pattern keeps you safe is probably going to continue, right? Uh, those babies are going to have that pattern and the babies that don't have that pattern may not make it because they're a little bit more easy to see by predators as babies. And these guys aren't too terribly huge when they're little babies first born. Now, notice I said born and not laid from eggs. These guys do not actually lay eggs. Um, a female Colombian boa constrictor, which is what David here is, a Colombian boa constrictor is found in Colombia, of course. Uh, but in Central and South America is where you find the boa constrictor, guys. <laughs> uh, but this is a Colombian boa. Now, when a female is gravid or pregnant, um, she can have up to... 30, maybe 40, 50, and up to 60 babies inside of her. And she actually does give live birth. It is not a egg laying process. Now, like every animal out there, as far as I know, we come from eggs inside of our mother, right? But they don't lay hard shelled eggs or even leathery shelled eggs like most other snakes, right? They actually will give live birth. So they can have lots and lots of babies. And when they're babies, they're pretty small. I would say they're no longer than, uh, I would say maybe... 10 inches long at birth, maybe a little less, a little more, depending on the individual. And they do have many babies. But when they're babies, they're especially vulnerable to potential predators out there in nature, like birds or mammals or all sorts of animals that might eat them, other snakes sometimes, depending on, well, maybe lizards, all sorts of things in uh, the South American and Central American jungles, lots of predator options out there. So if they do not have a pattern that's going to hide them well, they may not survive. And then they may not grow up to have children of their own. And, you know, down and down the line, we don't get as many hypomelanistic animals because the ones with the darker colors and the pattern that blends into stuff is gonna of course survive to make more babies i hope that makes more sense <laughs> yeah it's david boa gemini says hi gemini i see you gemini 1379 it's been a minute since you've been on the program we missed you hello ricardo hello donna uh yeah <laughs> not noisy like you said 
hi. <laughs> As you can see, I can highlight your comments and questions. Uh, David is probably Ricardo's favorite snake in our collection. He likes the larger snakes. I tend to be drawn more towards um, really any snake, honestly, but I kind of like the colubrids or the smaller kind of more thin-bodied snakes. That's just my preference. I kind of like them. I think there's a lot of variety in them. But these big uh, boa constrictors and pythons and all those bigger snakes like that, they certainly use their strong bodies to squeeze their prey instead of, of course, using venom or just overpowering their prey by munching on them <laughs> like some of the other colubrids and things do, like king snakes, for example. They just kind of start eating. Uh, king snakes might also choose to wrap around their prey sometimes, but they don't really do it as dramatically or strongly if that's a word, as a, a boa or a python that has great big muscles like this guy. So these guys would um, basically be an ambush predator. They're not super active in their hunting style. Other snakes might actually actively hunt maybe up a tree or even on the ground or even in the water to find prey. This guy's really going to be more of a lazy hunter. Um, that's just more energy efficient, right? <laughs> and they'll kind of hang out either on the ground or maybe even on a tree branch, depending on their size and their comfort and whatever they're doing that day. And they'll just kind of hang out and wait around for the most part for an animal to come by. It might be a bird, it might be a mammal, occasionally might be a, a lizard. They're not really known for eating other snakes, but not to say it couldn't happen if they were really hungry. But usually these guys are gonna seek out um, mammals and birds for eating. And remember, they're not really actively hunting them. They're gonna be hanging out relying on their camouflage to stay safe from their predators, but also relying on their camouflage to stay, to stay hidden from their prey. So the prey didn't even see them there. That's what they're hoping. <laughs> and as the prey walks by or hops by or slithers by or runs by or flies by, depending on the snake and depending on the prey situation. But for this one, remember, it's gonna be like a rodent. So maybe we'll say they, they walked or climbed by um, the face. That's when he's going to reach out and grab them with their teeth. Now these guys do have teeth, they do not have fangs. Um, their teeth are more like sticky Velcro <laughs> and they stick right to their prey because their prey are usually covered in fur or feathers. That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like the soft end of the Velcro situation, right? And these guys will reach out and grab them with a striking maneuver, right? <laughs> That's usually when they move the fastest is striking out. And they will grab the prey and immediately wrap around them if they're ready to eat. Now, if they're not feeling hungry, they might just strike to defend themselves. They might just bite and hopefully the, the animal that's scaring them will go away because they're trying to scare them away. Um, that's really the only couple of reasons why snakes bite at all is for maybe defense a little bit, but also if they're hungry. So if they're not hungry, they might just go away or they might just strike for defense if they're feeling a little intimidated by that big animal. But if they feel like eating it and they see it as a food <laughs> and it smells like food, because remember they smell with their tongue and their sense of smell is really sensitive. Um, these guys have a specialized Jacobson organ that tells them a lot of information um, about smells and that will actually uh, be via the tongue. So the tongue will come out, it's a forked tongue, it means it has two points on the end of it. Um, it can help them smell in different directions as well, almost like the antenna of an insect on the head. Instead, they have a forked tongue to give them a sense of direction. And they don't have any external ears, so that's really limited as far as how they can get directions with hearing, right? They don't really hear very well, having no ears. And so the, the sense of smell is very, very heightened on this animal and all snakes. And the forked tongue uh, basically comes out and goes back into their mouth senses the potential prey, the brain goes, ooh, that is probably prey. So then they will strike, wrap around with the front part of their body, give it a nice squeeze until it's ready to eat, not moving anymore. And then they can go ahead and proceed to eat it. 
The snake doesn't eat very often in the wild. They usually eat about once a month. Um, here at Once in a Wild, we do offer David food about mm, at least every other week to see if he would like a, a, a rat <laughs> every now and then. He's still a young guy, so I'm still feeding him about that often. As he gets older, we will lessen the amount of time that he eats per month. So as to not make sure, as to make sure that he's at a good body weight and to make sure that he's not getting too junky because that is very common with this species of snake. They can actually get pretty overweight if you don't, if you're not careful and make sure they don't uh, get overfed and all the things. So did you know that a snake can get fat? No, you do. <laughs> but these guys, like I said, in the wild, they'll kind of sit still, wait for their food to skitter, crawl, run, fly, slither by, whatever it might be. And then they will reach out and grab it wrap around very tightly. They're extremely strong. As you might notice, I do not have them around my neck. That is actually not a great idea with a larger snake like this. I just have them hold to my shoulder, over my shoulder, and uh, that just helps me to hold him up so you guys can see him. And he is very sweet. I don't anticipate him ever trying to hurt me, but he could potentially squeeze my neck, <laughs> and that wouldn't be a very good show for you guys, right? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be feeling good after that. I might, uh, I might have some... Uh, uh, consequences, right? So we don't really do that here once in a while. We can do over the shoulder like this. And then if he gets a little bit too much there, I just move him off my shoulder. But he is super strong. These guys are definitely to be respected. I wouldn't say they're dangerous to humans by any means. They're really not an aggressive snake towards humans at all. Boa constrictors, Colombian boa constrictors especially, are known to be pretty docile snakes overall for handling. But they are to definitely be respected, just like any animal, right? And he is really big and really strong. And he's only four. Um, these guys can live potentially into their 50s, maybe 60s. I've, I knew one that was super old. Um, I would say 40s is probably more common. <laughs> but um, this type of snake, the Colombian boa constrictor for females, I mean, they can get really large. Um, I would say 60, 70 pounds, especially if they're gravid or pregnant. And uh, they can get about 12, maybe more feet if they live long enough and keep growing because they keep growing their whole life. Um, but David here is a male, so we don't anticipate him getting super huge, uh, maybe 40, 50 pounds, and maybe around the 10 foot length. <laughs> but that's still a very large snake, right? So he needs to be respected. Now, David's only four. So he's got a long life to live ahead of him, we hope, right? Right. It's a pretty long low species, like I was mentioning. Oh, you guys are giving me some emojis. Thank you so very much. That's so cute. And over on Instagram, David says, hello with his forked tongue. Now, I love the boa constrictor's mouth. They do have kind of like a mustache mark <laughs> in the front of their mouth there. Super cute. And remember, this is a Colombian boa, but there are many different species of boa constrictor in the Americas. So there are all sorts of different ones. Now, we're live on Twitch. Oh, my gosh. Are we really? I didn't even think about Twitch yet because Twitch is new for us. Thank you so much for watching today. <laughs> this is Once on a Wild Wednesday. If you're just now joining us and it's your first time visiting, I hope you really like snakes because you're meeting David Boa, one of our favorites to show uh, here on the live stream and in person as well. He's always super impressive in person. He always gets like a gasp or a, or maybe a, ah, uh, every time we bring him out, depending on the person, right? But we do want to encourage you guys. I was checking my blood pressure right now. Woo wee. He's uh, around my arm, which, you know, is fine. <laughs> uh, I'll just, you know, check out these pythons. I mean, boas. <laughs> uh, but a lot of people do at least have some sort of reaction. When they see David Boa in person, he is just beautiful, number one. This is a gorgeous, beautiful snake. And just so, so beautiful and smooth. Um, these guys get a really weird, uh, hopefully going away reputation for being slimy. I don't know whoever told somebody a snake was slimy because they're not. <laughs> they're the opposite of slimy. They're dry. <laughs> uh, slimy 
actually has to do with amphibians and their mucus on their skin. Uh, reptiles have nothing of the sort. They're dry, they're waterproof. They're literally the opposite of, of mucusy or slimy. <laughs> and uh, I think they just get a bad reputation for people that have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and that is from their shininess. They're very shiny, but they're dry. It's just like like leather or, you know, like a football, basketball. It's, it's a leathery um, texture to it. It has a little bit of bump because they do have scales and their belly or their ventral side has totally different scales. Can y'all see? Super shiny. And they're like, like larger and almost like the slats of a roof on a house. And that helps them to get around and, and climb trees and do all sorts of fun things with their belly. But on the top, his scales are really tiny and very close together and extremely soft and smooth. It's like the softest leather you can possibly imagine. Don't get any ideas out there because David's going to say the way he is and wearing his own skin, <laughs> right? He's like, I'm out of here, you guys. <laughs> they're talking about leather. Remember, he can't hear very well. <laughs> uh, but uh, these guys are leather soft and that is pretty much what I, what I describe it to you when people are a little bit nervous to touch a snake. Um, a lot of times we will give people some of their first experiences or at least positive experiences with a snake, right? And hopefully change their minds about how they feel or at least to um, avoid snakes instead of harming them. Like I said, that's one reason. Get on my shoulder there. That's one reason. <laughs> he does not want to be on my shoulder. There we go. That's perfect. Um, you see that tail action there? Pretty cool. Um, so I was saying one reason why we opened once in a while in the first place is to change people's minds about misunderstood creatures. Uh, snakes get a really bad reputation for being dangerous, for being deadly, for being monsters, for being scary. And we love to change people's opinions on that. Now, it's okay if you happen to not be like me and snakes are just your favorite thing in the whole universe. That's okay. Um, we don't really expect that. What we do expect and kind of ask you guys, pretty please, is to have respect for those animals you may be uncomfortable with. If you see a snake in the wild, please don't pick it up and give it a hug. Like David, don't let them give you a hug either. <laughs> uh, please respect them and give them some space. They're wild animals. He's not a domestic animal, but he's super used to being handled. He's been raised around humans his whole life. He was bred in captivity, like I said before, and uh, he's super used to it. He's also just a really great personality for this sort of thing as well. So every snake that you meet out in the wild is probably going to be scared of you, number one, and probably going to want to defend itself because they don't understand that you're friend and not foe. And maybe you are foe and they're just, uh, you know, thinking ahead and trying to protect themselves. They don't have much in the way of defense other than to bite you. And then the other thing is going to be maybe to poo and pee on you. That's a great animal defense that a lot of animals use if you pick them up. And then another thing is going to be getting away or just hiding in the first place. So those are their options. And they don't understand and they're absolutely scared of you in the wild. So just leave them alone. The best thing you can do if you see a snake and you don't want them to be around anymore is to call for, prof for professional help. That's hard to say, apparently. Call for professional help. It could be your local snake removal service. That thing that such a thing does exist in most neighborhoods. Um, you can even get on next door and say, hey, does anybody have experience with removing snakes or at least identifying snakes? And let me know what kind of snake this is. We all have cameras on our phones nowadays, which is really nice. Back in the old days, we didn't have any of that since I'm since I'm an old woman now. I remember when we didn't have any cell phones whatsoever. Can you believe it, boys and girls out there? <laughs> um, and we certainly didn't have a camera in our pocket. But now we have a camera in our pocket. We've got cell phone service. We've got the internet. So we can certainly um, ask around and see what kind of snake you have in your own backyard or when you see out camping or on the ranch or whatever. So most of the time, it's going to be something you can just leave alone and it's harmless. 
And other times you can leave them alone and they're not so harmless. But usually snakes, once they realize there's a human around or a dog or a cat around, they will leave. They don't want anything to do with that situation. They're not after you. They're not um, scary monsters that are looking to hurt you or harm you. They certainly don't care about any of that. Um, they're they're just trying to survive. They're trying to be somewhere safe with, with good water to drink and good food to eat on occasion. They don't eat every day, so it's just on occasion. Um, but most of the time, once they realize there's people around, they will leave. But another thing you can do, like I said, is call for professional help. Somebody like me, I don't mind identifying your snakes for you if you happen to want to contact once in a while. Feel free. That's what I'm here for. Um, I can definitely do that for you. And always, always, we do not recommend harming the snake, even if it is a quote unquote dangerous snake, like a venomous species. There are a handful of venomous species here in the United States, right? There's several of them, but only four categories, coral snakes, rattlesnakes, uh, cottonmouth, AKA the, the water moccasins, the same kind of snake, and um, copperheads. Those are your venomous snakes. They're not all deadly to people. Did you know that? That's a myth. <laughs> Some of them are though, of course, and we want to be very, very careful around them, but there's no reason to harm or kill them just because you're afraid of them. There are other ways that you can deal with that situation. And I, I definitely recommend and would challenge you guys to think outside the box and see if you can either coexist with them. That's what I would do. Or you could, um, like I guess I'd call professional help, um, etc. One really quick, swift way to scare a snake away if you just want to, you know, make sure that it doesn't you know, maybe get after your dogs or something like that. And it's in your yard and you're just like, you know, maybe you're a little leery of the snake, etc. A water hose. If you have a water hose and you spray a little water near or on the snake, it's not going to harm the snake. It's just water. Um, that will actually startle the snake enough to probably leave. <laughs> and they're going to be like, what the heck happened? I don't know where that water came from. It's a little chilly and um, it's not raining. So I just got sprayed. I'm just going to leave. Bye. <laughs> and they typically will just go away. That's one little trick you can use, though. I hope you guys love snakes as much as me, though. I, I definitely, uh, you know, I think I'm in good company with some of you guys loving snakes and reptiles of all sorts, right? Hello, Alejandro. It's so good to see you on the show once again. Uh, I know you love reptiles and snakes especially. Snakes are absolutely my favorite animals, and reptiles are some of, some of my favorite animals as well in general. All right, I've got a couple people on here that are not... Uh, I'm not a, a fan of snakes, but that is why we're here, right? <laughs> Over on Instagram. So we are not just going to be um, visiting with David Boa today. We are going to be visiting with two other reptiles. One is going to be a tortoise and one is going to be a lizard. So all of you guys that are not super into snakes. <laughs> hey, Ash. Oh, I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad you guys are um, on the live stream. It's been a little while and we do miss you so very much. We've got David Boa out right now, but we're about to actually bring out another Central and South American reptile. And all three of our reptiles this evening are gonna be from the same general region of the planet, which is the tropical regions of Central and South America. So they are warm weather loving, humidity loving uh, animals that don't really like the seasonal changes. Kind of like me, my last name, fun fact, my last name is actually Winter. <laughs> Amanda Winter is my name. Uh, Winter my least favorite season, which we're in right now. I don't do well in the cold. I'm a South Texas girl. Once in a wild, if you've never been here before, once in a wild is our company name. And we are based in South Texas. And that's where I was born and raised. <laughs> so I'm very, very used to warm and dry weather. This guy here in the natural world would be used to warm and humid weather and with no seasonal change. Lucky them, I would love to live in a place like the tropics where it's the same season all year round. Of course, they do have to worry about rain, but uh, being a reptile, he's waterproof. So he is just fine in the rain. Okay, David Boa, we are going to let him go back and rest. 
He is fantastic. He is gorgeous. Again, a four-year-old Colombian boa constrictor. Some people call these guys the red-tailed boas, but they are not true red-tailed boas. Red-tailed boas are different varieties of boa constrictor. The Colombians are kind of like your OG boa constrictor, one of the largest. And I don't want to say more of the plain colors, but they're not as brightly colored as some of the other naturally colored boa constrictors in the wild. But they're one of my favorites because they're so large and impressive and typically sweethearts uh, personality-wise. Unlike some of your cousins, right? Like some of the other true red tails. <laughs> those of you that are reptile handlers out there, you know some of those true red tails, at least, well, the wild ones that are wild caught that we used to bring in imported all the time in the reptile trade. Those guys are a little more nippy and the Colombians tend to be a lot more calm, but that might have to do with the fact that they were imported. That makes a lot of sense to me now that I think about it. So they get kind of a bad rep for being bitey, but we can't blame them. They're just more feisty, but the Colombians tend to be a lot more uh, mellow, but they eat really well. They're great animals to handle and they're large without being too large to handle as one person, right? Because if you get it much larger than a Colombian boa, you really should not be handling that snake all by yourself. And David's still a little bit smaller to have to worry about that or a little bit, you know, smaller than he will be later, right? Obviously reptiles never grow, man, never stop growing, Amanda. Uh, so he will be a little bit bigger. And we will take proper precautions if we have to with larger snakes and larger constrictors. It's always a good idea to at least have somebody around or in the same building as you if you're handling them. So let's go ahead and let uh, David go ahead and rest. I hope I'm not rambling too much. I feel like I'm way overexcited to see you guys tonight and very hyper for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe I'll, uh, you know. I just need uh, to calm down, <laughs> but it makes me happy to talk to you guys about snakes and animals in general. Let's go ahead and let David rest, like I keep saying over and over again, and uh, let him go ahead and uh, get back into his travel enclosure just for now before he goes back home after the show's over. And uh, we're going to meet another reptile that's actually from the same region of the world, Central and South America. And if you were listening, I already kind of mentioned what type of reptile it's going to be. Now, when we talk about reptiles, there are four primary categories. One is gonna be, of course, your snakes. Snakes don't have any legs. They don't have any external ears. They are, they have forked tongues and they're carnivores. And I feel like I'm forgetting another feature of snakes, um, but those are the snakes, right? You guys can recognize snakes. Um, another category is crocodilians. There are several crocodilians in Central and South America, such as caiman and um, American crocodiles and some others, and all sorts of really cool crocodilians. Crocodilians are actually some of my favorite uh, reptiles on the planet. I've worked with several of them in the past. My favorite are probably, oh, it's hard to pick, but I really like, um, uh, working with alligators, just American alligators. I say just American alligators, but common American alligators here in uh, the United States. Those guys are just a little bit more mellow, kind of like the boa constrictor, the Colombian boa constrictor that we just met. Um, out of the crocodilians, they're a little bit more mellow. But I really enjoyed also working with um, dwarf, uh, dwarf, Oh my gosh. Well, dwarf caiman I have worked with as well, but those guys are very bitey and very hard to work with. They're gorgeous, but a little bit, a little bit feisty. Uh, dwarf um, crocodiles, African dwarf crocodiles. I worked with those at the Dallas Zoo and those were fantastic. And what a privilege to work with them because they're an endangered species. They're actually not doing very well in the wild, which is why we have them to be able to educate the public, the masses on how important the crocodilians are. With crocodilians, there's so much information to go over. So when we talk about reptiles, there's snakes, crocodilians, which are alligators, gharial, caiman, and more. <laughs> alligators, crocodiles, gharial, and caiman, and more as well. Um, and then, <laughs> happy new year to you as well, Gemini. I'm all over the place today. And then we have animals like lizards, 
snakes, lizards, crocodilians, and turtles and tortoises. So let's bring out our beautiful tortoise. Definitely our most well-known and most popular tortoise in all of our collection. We do have two tortoises of the same species. So he's the same as, as Shelton here. Shelton John, Shelton John, David Bowie, David Boa, David Boa, Shelton John. Did you know you're meeting a bunch of celebrities tonight here on Once on a Wild Wednesday? I bet you didn't know that. So this is Shelton John. We call him Shelton all the time though. And Shelton is a red-footed tortoise. These guys actually come from the same place as the Colombian boa constrictor. Well, in general, it's going to be Central and South America. So another tropical species, a tropical tortoise. Did you know there was such a thing? Now let's go back a little bit. Turtles and tortoises are in the same category of reptiles. Like I mentioned before, crocodilians, snakes, lizards, and turtles and tortoises. But they're actually pretty different from one another, even though they're very closely related. Uh, turtles, not tortoises like Shelton here, are more aquatic. So turtles are going to be more flat shaped most of the time. There are a couple of exceptions, but in general, turtles are flat and tortoises are more rounded or at least bumpier looking, more bulky looking, if you will, because they're not designed to swim. <laughs> tortoises like Shelton and many other species of tortoises are on the land and that's where they hang out. Now, that's not to say they don't enjoy the humidity and rainfall of the tropical rainforest where they're from, of course, but there's also tortoises from the desert and there's tortoises from the forest etc. Right, Shelton? This animal, though, is from the jungle, but they don't swim. So he's not going to go jump in the Amazon River and have a little swim like some aquatic turtles, right? <laughs> he's not going to do that. Um, he is going to hang out on dry, well, at least somewhat dry, maybe, maybe moisturized <laughs> uh, grass, jungle, mud, things like that, but definitely not going swimming in anything more deep than about where his head is when he's walking around. So they're just not designed for swimming. They're very heavy. Even, sorry, buddy, you're heavy. No insults. No insults uh, intended at all, right? We love him. Um, but they are dense. They're heavy. They're not buoyant. Buoyant means floatable. They can float. Um, this guy cannot float. <laughs> uh, if he were in too too deep of water, he would sink, unfortunately, or, you know, eventually sink anyway, pretty much right away, honestly. And uh, he would... Uh, definitely not do well and eventually would drown. These guys cannot, uh, they cannot breathe water. <laughs> and even turtles that live in the water, like sea turtles, they actually hold their breath and come up for air. They're not breathing water like a fish or um, any type of uh, aquatic animal with gills. They don't have gills. They have lungs, just like we do. They hold their breath and then they breathe at the surface. But this guy could probably hold his breath for a little bit, but he's not designed to be aquatic at all. So he's not a swimming animal. They do um, need to be soaked. Um, we soak ours twice a day. We have Shelton John and Frank Sinatra, our two red-footed tortoises, same species. Frank is a lot bigger than Shelton, but anyway. Um, they both get baths every single day, twice a day, and they also get oiled and bathed and very spoiled. Tortoises are very high maintenance. They do go to the bathroom a lot, which is why they get a lot of soaks. And that also helps them to stay nice and hydrated, making sure that they are drinking plenty of water because they're tropical species of tortoise. And it helps them to use the restroom if they're having trouble there, which they usually don't. <laughs> um, but some some tortoises do have trouble using the restroom, especially baby tortoises. They need to be make sure, and you need to make sure if you're caring for them, they have a lot of hydration. So soaking them in shallow water helps them do so. So again, not an aquatic animal, but does enjoy moisture for this species and humidity and rainfall, et cetera, et cetera. Another difference between a tortoise like him and a turtle that might be aquatic, 
right? Like a sea turtle, a alligator snapping turtle, a soft-shelled turtle, <laughs> a box turtle even, which isn't fully aquatic. Those guys are actually semi-aquatic. And even, like I said, most of your turtles are, are in and out of the water, except for like sea turtles. But even sea turtles come out of the, on dry land every now and then to like lay their eggs or come up to the surface to breathe, etc. Or take rests on uh, seaweed <laughs> and things like that. Or they might take rests other places too. So, but other turtles like um, maybe like a red-eared slider turtle. That's a very popular, well-known turtle species. Those guys are fast. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that turtles are really fast when they want to be. If you've ever seen a turtle running across the road, usually turtles will book it across the road because they're like, see, I don't want to get hit by a car today. Tortoises, on the other hand, take their sweet time really doing anything, <laughs> growing up, <laughs> uh, walking around, anything at all. They're very slow in general. So it doesn't really make sense for them to have a carnivore's diet, does it? These guys really don't run around and catch other. Hmm. Those of you on Instagram got to see a fun part of owning animal. And that is the splash zone that sometimes happens when holding a tortoise. Even though he's not an aquatic animal, he still comes with a splash zone. I know you guys probably didn't see as much as, as I just experienced, but I will be changing clothes after the program is over. Let me just tell you. So. Not an aquatic animal. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. Uh, it might be the blooper reel uh, section that we intend to maybe uh, feature someday on our YouTube, <laughs> etc. Uh, but anyway, uh, these guys may not be aquatic, but they come with a splash zone, which is peeing on you. And I guess he just had to go. So it is what it is. It's part of the job. And I will do that part for you. You guys, you are in a splash free zone because it's virtual today. <laughs> if you happen to see us in person, no promises. Um, but again, they're not a super fast animal. So they are an herbivore. Now on occasion in the wild, they might eat things like slugs. They might eat things like earthworms or other slimy creatures, but it's not super often. And they might occasionally carry in out there in the wild, but it's really not a good idea to feed your tortoises meat of any kind. Um, there are supplements and all sorts of different additives that you can give to their salad-based, plant-based, and grazing-based diets to keep them healthy. So it's not really necessary to feed them meat in the care of human, just in case you were wondering. Um, but out there in the wild, they might get occasional dead things or slow-moving things, but most of their diet, if not all of an individual's diet here and there, is going to be plant-based. And that just makes a lot of sense for tortoises in general, right? Because they're slow. They walk around on dry land. They graze on grass. They eat weeds. They eat flowers, fruits, etc. But like I said, there's always exceptions sometimes. <laughs> and uh, these guys really don't refuse any type of food that we give them. They're really good eaters. These types of tortoises are tropical, so they don't really have any seasonal changes, like I mentioned before with the snake and with some other animals that live in the tropics, right? Super duper jealous of them because they love warm weather. But these guys can eat every day if they really want to. Now, they don't really have to eat every day. Uh, they're tortoises, and they have a slow metabolism. They have a slow everything. Uh, and reptiles in general are cold-blooded. They're in, they're ectothermic, pardon me. We're endothermic, we're warm-blooded, we have to eat a lot more often. We eat, you know, several times a day to stay happy, right? I know I do. I don't know about you guys. No judgment, but I eat about five times a day to stay happy. Right, Ricky? <laughs> uh, but animals like Shelton and other cold-blooded or uh, ectothermic animals, ectothermic is really the proper terminology. Cold-blooded is very deceiving because it's not always cold. Uh, could, they could be warm, they could be cold, they could be neutral, <laughs> depending on what their surroundings are. They take on whatever temperatures around them, and if they need to warm up, they go into the sun. 
or they go into a warm spot if they need to cool off they'll go into a little little puddle of water or they'll go into the shade to cool off their bodies etc some lizards will actually change colors to help themselves thermoregulate but they have to think about it and they have to actually um they, they can't just automatically be the right temperature like us um, in order to keep a state of homeostasis, they have to actually kind of do it on manual. <laughs> so they will go into the sun when they feel a little cold, go into the shade if they feel a little too warm and too much sun, etc. And that goes for all um, cold-blooded animals. I'm having a hard time talking today in case you guys haven't noticed. I'm talking too fast and I'm saying the wrong thing, so I do apologize. It's just been one of those weeks. Um, but these guys are uh, ectotherms or ectothermic. <laughs> and that goes for a lot of other animals too. All the reptiles, of course, fish as well, for the most part. And um, also all of your, most of your invertebrates. I don't want to say all because we're always discovering new facts about animals and who knows. Um, but these guys for sure are cold-blooded or ectothermic, which means external, not endothermic like us or warm-blooded. <laughs> Hi guys. Yes, we definitely miss you. It is National Bird Day. That was a mistake. So I made it a reptile show on National Bird Day. However, birds and reptiles are not really uh, very far away from being related, are they? Um, in fact, a lot of uh, people assume that dinosaurs are more closely related to reptiles, and it all depends on the species of dinosaur and the species of reptile we're talking about. But there are many species of reptile that are actually way more closely, closely related. Excuse me. There are a lot more species of dinosaur guys, uh, that are way more closely related to birds than they are to reptiles, especially all of your two-legged, bipedal dinosaurs, like your Velociraptors and Deinonychus and all those amazing dinosaurs like uh, T-Rex. All those guys are probably more bird-like, right? In fact, we know that now than they are reptile-like, even though we assume that they're all reptiles. But birds and reptiles are actually pretty closely related. Uh, one of my professors at zoology Zoology College. <laughs> that sounds so silly. One of my one of my um, uh, professors in school when I was studying zoology. There we go. That's more professional. <laughs> uh, she used to call um, birds fancy reptiles. <laughs> Just fancy reptiles. Yeah. So a lot of your dinosaur species um, are way more closely related to birds. Yeah. Oh, Sheldon, you're so cute. Let's talk about tortoise senses. As we get a close-up of our friend Shelton here on most of our platforms, right here on the big camera. Um, so he's got a really cute set of nostrils. They look like E.T. Oh, so cute. Big eyes. He does have ears. They're kind of hard to see. It's more of a tympanum situation, kind of like a frog. It's like a little, little flat ear. Not much to speak of, but it's there. Um... He does have a tongue and he can feel as well. So let's talk about touch. And I think I touched on, I think I touched <laughs> on all the reasons why um, turtles and tortoises are different from each other. But let me restate those really quick before I forget. Um, the shape of their body. So typically tortoises are more round or bulky shaped, maybe bumpy, depending on the species. Um, this species actually should not have as many bumps as Shelton does, but Shelton is a rescue animal and he probably got the bumps from uh, improper diet before we had him here once in a while. Uh, remember, these guys really shouldn't have a ton of animal protein. So if he got too much animal protein or just the wrong diet in general, he might've developed these bumps from that. And it is pretty common, um, but now he's got a great diet. So hopefully he won't progress in any of those bumps as well. He is growing a growing boy, though. He does have a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of uh, size to gain, <laughs> but he also has grown for us, which is fantastic. And no more bumpiness. He, he's probably going to just stay the same as he is. But anyway, um, these guys 
like I said, usually more bulky or uh, rounded shaped for a tortoise. And turtles are usually more flat because that makes sense for them to be swimming and things like that through the water. They're a lot more um, streamlined in the water. They're a lot more um, fast. <laughs> they can move a lot quicker with a streamlined flat shell through the water. And even in general, being a lot more faster, a lot more fast, more fast. Yeah, that, that thing. Guys, um, also a tortoise has um, a vegetarian diet, an herbivore's diet for the most part, whereas turtles can catch meat. Turtles can have an omnivore diet sometimes, which means they eat a little bit of both. Um, some turtles eat more plants than meat and some turtles eat more meat than plants and then everything in between. But tortoises really don't really eat animal protein at all, um, especially none, none really to speak of, I would say. Always exceptions, like I said, but not really to speak of in their diet overall. They're really an herbivore. And another big difference I didn't mention, but this has to do with their lifestyle is where they're going to be is going to be on the land, right? So they have elephantine legs or big, strong, tree trunk-like legs. Elephantine sounds like elephant. And that's exactly what their back legs look like, are miniature elephant legs. Super cute, right? But that helps them to walk around on dry land, um, lift their heavy shells, because remember, they're heavy, they're bulky, they're not buoyant. So those are your main differences between turtles and tortoises, and I'm sure I'm forgetting another one, but this is real life. Um, but <laughs> what were we talking about? I forget. Senses, senses of the tortoise. So senses of the snake. Um, they do have vision, but it's not very good. It's pretty blurry and there is no color vision. The vision of the tortoise, however, he's got color vision. They actually use their color vision to distinguish food items in the wild. It might be a ripe fruit that looks nice and colorful. It might be a delicious, colorful flower, like a hibiscus flower, etc. And they certainly have a bunch of colors on them as well. And they can see full color. Um, they see pretty well as well. And their sense of smell is very good too. They use their sense of smell to find delicious plants to eat. And they use their sense of smell to find each other and communicate a little bit. And they do hear, but they don't hear very well that we know of. And of course, they can't tell us. I know they can hear some because they always hear us walking around and going out to feed them. Um, typically, they live outside as long as it's 60 degrees and up. But right now, they're inside because it's a little bit cooler, especially at night right now in Texas. It's not super cold here in Texas. I'm not complaining at all. Um, but they're indoors most of the time nowadays. But if we open the door or come into the room that they're in, they will actually perk up and say, oh my gosh, humans must mean food, <laughs> etc." Or maybe they're just happy to see us. I don't know. But they definitely do hear us or sense us some way. And they can feel, feel different um, sensations on their shell. They can definitely feel you touching their shell if you touch them. And of course, they can feel you touching on their skin as well. You can see he pulled his leg away to be like, oh, who's touching me? They can feel on their head as well, just like any reptile you would imagine. Um, but their shell is where a lot of people think that they cannot feel at all. And that is not true. Um, their outer or top layer is made of keratin, just like your fingernail, right? Or your hair, but they don't have hair. <laughs> They've got scales. Think of it as a great big giant fingernail or toenail, I guess, on their back and on their belly. The top is called the carapace, and this is the plastron, which is their belly shell, right? Both made out of keratin on the top layer. Underneath the top layer of keratin, they have a bone layer, which is like a, a kind of like a flat layer of bone on, on top and bottom. And then in that, they actually have nerve endings in between all of that. So they can feel sensations of touch. They definitely appreciate a good scratch on their back because guess what? They can't really reach their back to scratch like other animals can scratch their backs. Um, a lot of tortoises are seen in the wild and even in the care of humans, scratching their back up against the maybe the side of their enclosure or a fallen log or a rock or even just like a, a fallen tree branch with a bunch of branchy pieces like this. And they'll go get a nice back scratch by 
scratching their back underneath that. A lot of tortoise enrichment is made to give them a touch sensation of some sort as well. And they can certainly feel heat and cold changes as well. They can definitely feel all of that. So sense of touch is definitely a big one for them too. And the sense of taste. So they have all five senses are pretty good for this species. I would venture to say, best guess, um, in science, as far as we know so far, we could be wrong because we're always learning, right? I fully admit, I'm kind of agnostic that way. Um, in science, we're always learning, right? And we don't really know because they can't tell us or explain to us, but I don't believe that they hear very well. That would probably be, I would venture to say, their least sensitive sense <laughs> is their hearing ability. Although we do know that they hear deeper, lower tones better than higher tones. That makes a lot of sense because they're not really a super vocal animal, but maybe they're saying things that we don't hear because we don't hear their tones, right? So who knows? But just like uh, the snakes don't have any ears, we assume they don't hear, don't hear very well, but who knows, I guess. But that makes a lot of sense if you don't have any external ears that hearing wouldn't be your best sense, right? And these guys have very slight little tympanum circles. Tympanum is like what we see on a frog. A frog's ear, frogs hear great. We know that because they communicate with sound a lot um, and they, they definitely respond quickly to sound. But who knows, maybe tortoises are just really mellow and they don't react as well uh, to sound as other animals and we just assume things that we don't know. That was really good to see you, Gemini, as well. <laughs> yes, little elephant legs. Yeah, they're literally called elephantine. Elephantine or elephantine is the word for this shape of leg. And an elephant, of course, has elephantine legs. <laughs> and a tortoise has elephantine legs, too. Super cute. And we love, you love Shelton. We love Shelton too. Everybody loves Shelton. I can't think of anybody, maybe except for one person that I met a long time ago that doesn't like a good tortoise. <laughs> Tortoises are really cute. They're pretty harmless to humans, although they do have a beak to bite with. Some people do ask me, is he a snapping turtle? He is not a snapping turtle. And that's usually in person when we do in-person animal encounters. And I think people are just a little bit nervous around animals they're not familiar with. Not everybody, and I take this for granted, not everybody um, has a lot of experience with some of these animals, right? And so they maybe have like assumptions or they're just guessing that it's this type of animal. Some people guess that he's a box turtle because of these beautiful colors beautiful red-footed tortoise. Now the red-footed tortoise is a very brightly colored turtle, but turtle family animal, right? But there's other turtles and tortoises that have bright colors too. Now the going theory on to, as to why they are so brightly colored is actually for camouflage. And that doesn't really make sense, right? But it does. These guys are around a lot of colorful, tropical leaves, tropical plants, right? And flowers that are bright colored in the jungle. And this animal, remember, they're not climbing trees, but they're on like kind of the jungle floor among the leaves of the plants that are on the jungle floor too, um, among a bunch of flowers, maybe even fallen flowers and fallen leaves that they're eating too. Um, but also they're going to blend in very nicely to the backdrop. Now that's mostly going to be used for when they're baby. These guys are very small when they hatch out of their eggs and they are very vulnerable to predators at that age, just like sea turtles or like any turtle species in general. The smaller you are as an animal in general, General, the more vulnerable you are to predators, unfortunately. So you really need some sort of camouflage. And that's really the, the best theory we have as to why they have the bright colors. He's obviously not a poisonous animal. A lot of animals with bright colors are warning other animals. Now it could be a little bit of a form of mimicry or pretending to be dangerous, but we really don't think so. We think it's more of a camouflage scenario. And it also could be communication. It could be a mating 
uh, preference <laughs> uh, from female to male. Although females and males pretty much look the same in this species, um, a male would have a slightly concaved or sunken in belly, and I think is a little bigger in this species, but I'm not 100% sure because I don't breed them. But there's not a whole lot of um, dimorphism in this species of tortoise. If that were the case, then I would say yes, it's probably, you know, mate selection <laughs> or something like that. But the best theory that we have right now, before we learn better, I guess, is we guess, what you doing, Shelton? You're looking at our Instagram friends over there. Um, they are um, blending in with the bright colors. Now, that makes sense if you live in a brightly colored environment like the tropical rainforest, right, which is where they live. Shelton is a red-footed tortoise, in case you missed it. And these guys come from the jungle, tropical rainforest of Central and South America, and they live on the forest floor among some pretty bright colors, right? And they are just gorgeous, aren't they? Thank you for saying he's handsome, Jeffrey. It's been a minute since I've seen you on the show. I'm so happy to see some of our followers on the show today get, leaving comments and questions today. Earlier, we met David Boa. You can rewatch the show later to meet David again and uh, Shelton the tortoise. Well, Shelton is going to go back down and rest. And uh, we're actually going to meet one more tropical rainforest reptile, if you guys don't mind. We brought all reptiles today. I made a mistake, and I realized it's actually National Bird Day. Happy birthday! That's what I say to people when it's their birthday. Happy birthday. It must be today. Yes. And now we will have to make up for that and have a bird presentation next week, maybe. <laughs> now, last week we did actually feature our Eurasian Eagle Owl, Ranko, on the show. So maybe we can just pretend from last week. And by the way, Happy New Year to you guys, if I forgot to tell you. Please let me know if you have any questions about any of the animals you've seen today or animals in general. Uh, feel free to try to stump me with questions. I don't know everything. That's my favorite thing about the job is learning all the time and the variety which this job presents, right? So he is pretty cool. Hope you guys enjoyed seeing Shelton. Now, if you guys would like to visit David Boa or Shelton for yourself, I don't blame you at all. You can actually hire us for an animal encounter, whether it be virtual, if you happen to be too far away or you're social distancing right now, we understand. We can actually conduct a Zoom room animal encounter, emphasis on Zoom, where we bring the zoo to you virtually, right? So we can customize your encounter with several animals that you get to meet. And we spend a whole bunch of time with you one-on-one -on -one or one-on several, depending on how many people you would like to invite to your Zoom. And you get to pick the animals and meet them. Uh, those are the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have definitely uh, had a few Zooms, right? It's really similar to this, only I get to also see your faces as well, just like if you were to have another a Zoom meeting of any kind, but with animals. So it's a lot more fun. <laughs> and we can do that virtually for those of you that can't do the in-person or don't choose to right now. That's okay. Um, but if you happen to be in our area, which is San Antonio, Texas, you can meet Shelton and feel him for yourself and actually give him a nice little back scratch yourself if you want to. He would really enjoy meeting you. And David, you're more than welcome to meet him, learn about snakes, and actually touch a snake if you've never done it. I highly recommend it. And just let me know if you're interested in meeting either one of them or any of the other animals that we happen to have in our little zoo as well. That is what we actually specialize in, is in um, bringing animals to all sorts of events, classroom presentations, animal therapy sessions, photo opportunities are another fun thing you can do. And of course, birthday parties, you even have a mini petting zoo. Um, our mini, our mini, that sounds like I'm saying mani petty. We don't do mani petties, but we do mini petting zoos, which include our Flemish giant rabbit Sandor, the most popular and beautiful rabbit of all time, in my biased opinion. And then we have our two Pekin ducks, Gansito and Lucas. We have a couple of guinea pigs always attend. It's usually Iggy and friends. <laughs> so Iggy, the long haired guinea, guinea pig, and sometimes Dexter, Noodles, or Billy Joe. And then we also have 
our bearded dragon lizards that can attend. Um, that could either be Debbie or Eddie, depending on the day. And uh, our tortoises, right? So we have um, Frank and Shelton, the tortoises. And that's what comes with our mini petting, mini petting zoo. It is hard to talk live, right? Those of you that do live streams understand me, right? I'm going to get a drink. Not that kind of drink. Hmm. This is the family show, so it's just water today. Um, so let's go ahead and let Shelton rest, right? And we're going to meet our third reptile from the tropics of Central and South America. And this is our original, um, I don't want to say oldest, because <laughs> she's probably not. I don't know how old Shelton is. And uh, Shelton's over here. I don't know how old Shelton is. And David's four, so he's pretty young. Shelton's a guest because he's a rescue. So our tortoises actually came from a couple of different scenarios. Um, Frank is um, from an individual that donated him to us. And Shelton is from a reptile uh, rescue organization, which we met in, um, at, well, at NARBC, which is a big reptile convention, um, basically lots and lots of tables, a big convention center, and uh, we, we met a reptile rescue group there, and we adopted Shelton from them. So I don't know much about Shelton's past or history whatsoever, other than he's a little bumpy, so we assume he probably got too much animal protein in his diet or something. We don't really know for sure, right? Could just be the way he is, but that's my best guess out of the years of experience that I have. Um, but we don't know his age, so it's a big guess. He, Shelton could be 10. Shelton could be 20. He could be less than 10. I really don't know. <laughs> uh, there's no way to look at Shelton's shell or anything like that to see hmm, how old he is. It's not like the rings on a tree and that's not even really either. So I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, but all of you uh, tree experts, you tell me if that's actually true. It might be true for some species of tree. But to my knowledge, tortoises especially, you can't just look at them and say, oh, that tortoise is five years old because they grow based on their care. They grow based on their diet, temperatures, all sorts of variants in their life. So who knows how old he is. But I do know that David is about four because I actually got him as a baby at the same convention. Now that I think about it, I got them at the same time. Can you believe that? What a coincidence. But this animal that you're about to see next, I've had this animal for a long time. Not, not super long, but... She's one of the animals that we, it's kind of like our OG animal with once in a while, animal ambassador wife. Other than our dogs, I've had this animal the longest. And we think that she is actually about mm, maybe 16 years old is my best guess. But again, another rescue. And you're about to meet her right now. So let's meet her. Come on, girly. It's Joanna the iguana. She's going to slap our backdrop in the back and give you a, a sense of her tail action there. This is a green iguana. Her name is Joanna the iguana. I'm just gonna get her situated real quick. Now, Joanna and I have been friends, like I said, for a long time. I've had Joanna for 13 or 14 years, and she's probably at least 16 or 17 years old, or 17 year old years young. Now, in the care of humans, she could live a pretty long life. Um, in the wild, this might be about old <laughs> for them, and you're not old. I'm sorry to insult you. Settle down. It's okay. Now, iguanas are not the best handling lizards, but she's actually a really great green iguana for a green iguana. So please don't get any ideas. I want to make sure I'm in frame on both platforms here. Um, don't get any ideas from me handling a green iguana. Green iguanas are not for everybody. In fact, I don't recommend them for anyone, <laughs> even for experts, because they're a pain to handle and they're a pain to take care of. They're just really, really um, 
high maintenance and more advanced as far as training, as far as care. And Joanna's a very nice iguana. She's also a female. Females tend to be a little more calm than males. Sometimes, sometimes no. <laughs> and it just also just kind of depends on her temperature, depends on the day, her mood, all the things. <laughs> and she, but she's a pretty good iguana overall. Um, and she is an animal that we actually, I actually found at a flea market running around. She was not running around. I was running around at the flea market. Don't get any ideas, you guys. Uh, she was actually um, being held at a flea market pet store, which was for birds. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, she was in a bird store, like a parakeet store, essentially, in a flea market. That's basically what they carried there and some bird cages. And she was actually in a 55-gallon glass tank with nothing else in it besides mulch. And if you know much about iguanas, they need a lot of room. 55 gallons is not enough room for even a juvenile iguana. I would say a baby iguana is probably okay to raise them up in a big tank like that. But uh, this particular 55-gallon tank had no branches, had no lights. <laughs> it was just dark. And she was hanging out on mulch on the bottom. And it looked really sad. And she was just kind of sleeping in the corner there in the middle of the day. And this is a diurnal sunbathing, sun-worshipping lizard um, who should be very active during the day or at least sunbathing or relaxing in the sun or in the trees, not on the ground, sleeping in the dark. That's kind of sad. So she, um, I definitely wanted to inquire about that. <laughs> and I said, what's the story behind this iguana? And apparently, this is what I was told, somebody dropped her off and just left her there. And it was up to the shop owner at the flea market to maybe find her a new home, etc. So long story short, I adopted Joanna the Iguana about, what did I say, 13 or 14 years ago, something like that. I, I lost track. She's been with me a long time. Uh, and uh, the rest is history. And she's part of the inspiration for Once in a Wild as well, because these guys do not make good pets, like I mentioned already. And they're super duper common in the pet trade. And the problem with these guys is not really them, it's us. <laughs> a lot of times um, people will see them and they're very inexpensive to purchase because most of your green iguanas in the care of humans, in pet stores, etc., for sale as pets are wild caught. They're actually caught from the wild uh, or they're farmed in, you know, in like kind of an outdoor situation, which it is what it is. And most of the time people are not giving the education um, that they should be giving when they are being purchased in the pet store. These guys get enormous. I don't know if you can tell, but this is a really big lizard and she's a girl. So a male green iguana could be two or three times as large as Joanna the iguana. And she's already too much lizard for the average person, in my opinion. I think she's amazing. She's actually one of my favorites. Not only have I had her a really long time, and I love her. She's like one of my children. Um, but also, she's a very uniquely um, handleable green iguana. And she's got a lot of cool information to talk about about these lizards. I love them. So I actually titled my video today, What Makes an Iguana, iguana Awesome? Iguanas are awesome. They're just not awesome pets because they're wild animals and emphasis on wild. Once in a wild. <laughs> the green wild is for Joanna the Iguana. Um, but these guys are very feisty most of the time. They're very, very um, defensive is probably the best word for this animal. In the wild, they are actually another vegetarian, like the tortoise. Shelton is down there still. Hi, Shelton. Um, Shelton's a vegetarian, an herbivore. These guys are also herbivores. Some iguanas are a little bit more omnivore in their habits. They might eat a little bit of bugs, worms, things like that. But the green iguana, which is her species, is primarily an herbivore. They really don't eat much else other than leaves, flowers, fruits, vegetation. That's it. 
And this is a very highly arboreal or tree um, climbing animal. They're more comfortable climbing on something or being perched um, up on something to be away from danger, to be among tree leaves for security, to hide from predators and things like that. So this is an herbivore, a vegetarian. So you might be thinking, oh, what a great pet. They're, they're Vegisaurus. Vegisaurus, Lex, Vegisaurus. Not the case. These guys actually have a lot of reason to be feisty and a lot of reason and, uh, uh, you know, to be a, a defensive animal in the wild. Because remember, they're in the jungle and there's lots of dangerous animals up in the trees that might eat them. You might be able to think of some. In the jungle, we have animals like um, ocelots, which is a kind of a smaller cat, but there's large cats like jaguars, which are actually one of the predators of the, well, all animals that we met today. <laughs> uh, jaguars are very capable predators to eat even crocodiles and caiman in the wild. So they certainly could eat an iguana, no problem. Um, and jaguars also eat tortoises. They have a strong enough bite to eat a tortoise through its shell. That's amazing. Jaguars actually have the strongest bite of all the cats in the wild. <laughs> of all the cats, period, <laughs> in, in everywhere and all over the world. They're very, very strong. And they certainly eat iguanas. So there are jaguars. There are birds of prey, like eagles and hawks, that are the most common predator for a iguana. Um, some larger snakes might occasionally eat an iguana, but not super often, but it does happen. Um, so they do have a lot of enemies to watch out for. There's even other lizards that might eat iguanas too. So they're always on the lookout. Now, if they're awake, they're extremely, um, what's the word, um, obser observant. They're, they're aware of everything going on around them. They're always looking out for themselves. Very defensive, like I said. So if they're looking around, they're going to be kind of, you know, just making sure everything's okay. Um, and some of their defenses, if they see a threat or experience a threat, maybe they get grabbed by a predator, etc. And this is what kind of makes them a poor pet choice for most people, is when they get grabbed, their instincts take over. They might whip and... Uh, 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 well, whip is really the best word. They might whip and, and wag their tail everywhere or uh, really, really wag their tail. I'm going to show you her tail. Whoa, it's so long. I won't even fit a brain. You guys on Instagram get a, a, a taste of the tail down there. Um, it's long <laughs> and it's very sharp. Um, the ridge on top of an iguana's tail, when you touch it backwards, it will cut you. <laughs> so that is a great weapon to use just like a big bull whip with a sharp ridge to basically whip your enemies right in the face. Right in the face is what they want. That way it deters them and maybe makes the 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 animal trying to eat the iguana drop the iguana and say, never mind, this thing is way too hard to eat. I'm going to give up. <laughs> um, but if that doesn't work, the iguana can scratch. They have some of the sharpest nails in all the animal kingdom. Believe you me, if I did not give her some sort of mani-pedi, there we go. That was a good segue from earlier. If I did not give her some sort of nail trim or, tri or file her nails at least a little bit, which I have, it's been a minute, but I have done it <laughs> not too long ago, I, can I cannot hold her without doing that because her nails are cat-like nails. Now they don't retract like a cat's claws, of course, but they're just as sharp as a cat's claws <laughs> and they're out all the time. And they're designed for climbing. They're amazing climbers, straight up a tree, any tree they can climb it, any, anything they can get their little nails on, they can climb it. Bird cage, fence, whatever it might be, as long as they can get a grip, get a grip, Joanna, uh, they can climb very, very well. That's what they're designed to do, climb up a tree, stay in the tree and be safe. But again, if they need to use their nails to scratch, they certainly can. They sometimes will use their back leg and kick and scratch. That was a terrible impersonation, but they'll kind of like, like, like kick, like a lot of animals will do. And if that fails, they can bite. And this animal also has some of the sharpest teeth in all the animal kingdom. Yes, they do. Now the previous animal we just met, 
the tortoise, he has zero teeth, but he still has a sharp beak, right? Almost like a bird. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, there we go again. Um, but a, a bird and a tortoise or a turtle have a lot in common because they have a beak instead of teeth. But that's a very different maneuver to be able to eat. That was also a terrible impersonation. Uh, this is definitely the blooper reel uh, show, you guys. Um, but they, um, a tortoise or a turtle even, they're chomping their food and trying to like maybe tear off a piece to eat or eating something whole, but it's like a chomp, right? These guys have very sharp, tiny teeth, very tiny, but many, 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 many teeth. If you know how many teeth an iguana has, please research that for me because I don't know. And they regenerate their teeth if they need to, just like most reptiles can if they have teeth, um, like a crocodile, for example. Most lizards can do this too. Um, if they need to grow more teeth, they just grow more. Isn't that handy? But they can use their razor sharp teeth to basically grab onto a big leaf in the jungle in the tree where they live, right? Or a flower. They can eat a flower whole. Flowers are soft. But some of those big jungle, oh, she's taking a little nap right now. She's over my, she's completely over this whole conversation. <laughs> she's like, good night. I'm just gonna pretend like you don't do this. That's Joanna's personality. Um, but she will razor off a piece of that big leaf with her razor sharp teeth. That's what her sharp teeth are made for. But they can also defend and draw copious blood <laughs> uh, of the enemy if she needs to. Right, Joanna? She's like, copious blood? Where is it? She woke up. Um, but yeah, these guys are amazing at defending themselves. And my favorite thing about the green iguana, there's so many cool things. My favorite thing about the green iguana and other lizards too, including other iguanas, is they actually have a third eye. It's really hard to show you guys without upsetting her because I have to like kind of tip her the other way. But she actually has a perennial scale or perennial eye on top of her head, which looks like a tiny little zit. <laughs> and yeah, you want to show everybody your perennial eye? She's like tilting her head for me. Um, it's very tiny. It just looks like another scale, but it's slightly different colored. If you don't know what you're looking for, you wouldn't see it at all. Um, but it's kind of like a little zit or pimple on top of her head. That's what I always tell the kids. And they're like, hee hee hee, a pimple. It's not a pimple and it's not an eye. It's a scale that's clear and can sense shadows and movement. So if she wants to just go up into a tree and be a wild iguana, imagine being back in the wild, Joanna. I don't know if you were ever in the wild because I met you as a, uh, at least a, a teenager iguana, right? <laughs> a teen or a juvenile iguana, right? In iguana terms. But uh, if you do remember the wild, think back to the wild, be up in the, in the jungles, in the jungle, be in the jungle, up in the tree, and uh, you're taking a nap, your favorite thing to do in the world. My favorite thing to do too, take naps, yes. And you can actually keep a lookout with your perennial eye or third eye scale. How handy is that? It's like having an eye in the back of your head. All you parents and teachers out there, you can keep an eye on your students or children in general. You sure are observant today. And uh, they can keep an eye, uh, eye out for hawks and eagles, especially, or any overhead danger. It could be a storm or anything. And they kind of just wake up and say, hmm, let me assess the situation. I woke up and my perennial eye or third eye let me know there might be something to look out for. So let me look around a little bit. Remember, they have excellent vision anyway. And then if they feel like it's a dangerous situation, they might just abandon ship and jump out of the tree. They can jump many, many, many feet down below into the jungle if they want to, just like onto the grass or into the other trees. They're very tough. They can handle quite the fall. And that's actually how you survey and collect iguanas in the wild. If you happen to be a scientist, herpetologist studying iguanas, you scare them out of trees and they jump down for you. That's their instinct. They will jump down and usually be fine. Or 
preferably they'll already be roosting and hanging out above a body of water, typically a river or something like that in South America, right? Central America. So how nice is that, that they can swim very well as well. <laughs> so these guys will, if they see or, or sense a situation that might be a little bit too dangerous to stick around, they'll just jump right into the river and swim away. They tuck in all their limbs, just like a little crocodile, so cute, or a fish. Fish don't have like arms and legs, right? But lizards do, and so do crocodiles. So they might just stick their limbs to the side of their body and use their tail to swim like a fish and get away. And these guys are incredibly amazing animals in the wild and sometimes in, in uh, mobile zoos too. The circle on her lower chin. Very, very good question over on Instagram. The circle right here right there for you guys over here and right here that is literally just a big scale it is a of course she's covered in scales and some of the neatest scales are her her back or ridge scales right here are kind of like spikes on her back they're not super sharp until you get down to the tail like i mentioned before and if you touch them going the other direction but blood copious blood <laughs> you will have a cut but that is why they use their tail for protection, right? And how they can use their tail for protection. But um, they have all sorts of different types of scales on their body. Iguanas have some of the neatest uh, scalation of any reptile, in my opinion. And this right here is literally just a cheek scale. What if I pet her cheek? She might just take a little nap or pretend I don't exist. Either or. Either way, she's a pretty tolerant lizard. Um, but this would be a cheek scale. On the males of the green iguana and most other species of iguana, they have really big fat cheeks. That's not an insult, but that's part of the male iguana's anatomy. And that is part of how we can tell the difference in the genders. Like I said before, on a mature male, they will be huge, a lot bigger than this. So it's very easy to tell already. Um, they also might even have larger back ridges or these spike scales, if you will. And that is all sexual dimorphism or male and female differences. So on the males, this cheek scale would be huge. It would be a lot bigger and the cheeks would be bigger. And that actually helps some lizards, including iguanas and tegus and some others, to stay safe when they are fighting other males. That's right. They will fight each other. So you don't want to have a couple of iguanas that are not like friends. They might kill each other. <laughs> That's another fun thing about iguanas. They're very territorial, especially males. Um, especially when females are involved, they will protect their ladies and they will fight to the death sometimes. It's not pretty, but that's the way it is. Iguanas are pretty intense lizards. They're pretty rock star. If you, <laughs> if you think about it, they're very, very hardcore, if you will. So the, the male might have big fat cheeks to keep his neck safe from an attack from another male. It's the same concept with a, um, a male lion. A male lion has what on their neck? It's not fat cheeks <laughs> to protect their neck. It's actually a mane of big, thick hair <laughs> on a male African lion, right? And those guys will have the same exact protection for their neck. If a male lion's fighting another male lion for the pride, for the females, um, they will have that neck protection as well with all those hair. She is very sassy. Joanna has about the, the personality of Roz from Monsters Incorporated. They're pretty much the same person. So as I got to know her a little bit more, I named her Joanna Iguana a long time ago when I first adopted her, right? Remember? We've been together a while. Right now she's pretending like I don't exist. Um, but she's like, just go away. <laughs> That's enough. Um, but I should have um, waited for her personality to come out a little bit more because she's literally Roz from Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> she's always watching and you better get your paperwork filed correctly or she's going to be super judgy. So she's very, very judgy. 
Yes, yes, yes. But iguanas have so much neat information. And they're one of those lizards that everybody recognizes and everybody thinks that they, they know about. <laughs> but uh, I love teaching people about animals that um, they assume they know things about. And you might know some things. I'm not, I'm not trying to insult you by any means. I'm not trying to insult you either, Joanna. Um, some people do know about her. <laughs> uh, and they at least know something, right? But a lot of people are surprised to know that they're, they're herbivores which is another fun thing that uh, oftentimes when they are sold in pet stores that they are not educated on, and then they're fed things like bugs and uh, not enough vegetables and things like that, and they become very sick. Um, animals like this as well need a lot of arboreal space, as you might imagine. This is an animal in nature that exists literally living in the jungle in a tree. Can you provide a jungle and a tree in your house? And you probably shouldn't have an iguana <laughs> if no, right? Now, if you live in Florida and can keep these guys... Um, well, I don't even know if they're illegal in Florida right now because they're invasive down there. But uh, a, a similar environment to that where it's tropical all the time, you can keep them outdoors in a great big pen. We actually do keep Joanna in a great big pen outdoors most of the time. But like I said, like the tortoises, they have to come in because they're ectothermic, right? You remember, um, they're cold-blooded, so they cannot be out when it's super cold. And anything below 60, a green iguana really does not tolerate very well. Now, 60 and sunny is fine on occasion, but not every day, right? So they really prefer high humidity, high heat. So we have to shower her a lot. She gets lots of showers. She's showered with love and water. Um, she gets lots of baths. She does have a pool to swim in most of the time. It's usually a kiddie pool or some sort of similar situation. Um, and that is most of the time, most of the year outdoors, because we do live in a pretty warm client here, Cli climate, not client, you guys are the clients, we would love to be, we would love to have you as our client, guys, you can make fun of me all you want, this is a fun show today, but these guys um, do prefer a hot, humid climate, Amanda, um, so we do keep her outside a lot, but we have to make sure she has humidity as well, so it's kind of tricky, they're not easy, and for me, for me, it's not the housing, it's not any of that, it's not really the care, although that's a big part of it, they have to have a lot of sun as well, as an ectotherm or cold-blooded lizard, most lizards, tortoises, etc., they need a lot of sun to stay nice and healthy. Um, these guys require pretty high UV and pretty high heat, but we we um, actually accomplish that with the sunlight outside most of the time, and they're very happy that way. If you can do that, maybe an iguana might be okay for you, but for me, the biggest um, deterrent <laughs> that I would ever give somebody is it's just the handleability, their personality. These guys, um, if you don't know what you're doing, you can get extremely badly injured by your lizard. They're very dangerous. She's pretty uh, hardcore. Like I said before, they have the razor sharp teeth, which a lot of them do actively want to bite people especially the boys. The boys will be very territorial. It also might um, waver from season to season, depending on their, their mood, etc. Um, it, it might depend on the breeding season. It might depend on the temperature. It might just be a moody animal that changes their mind every now and then. Um, that can be very dangerous with an animal that has such sharp teeth and it's a big lizard. Joanna, remember, she's a female, so she's smaller. Um, also, they have the very sharp nails. And if you can't trim their nails or file them on a regular basis, they're really not handleable at all unless you're wearing like gauntlet gloves and long sleeves. As you can see, she's doing pretty good because I have her trimmed up. Manny Petty, remember? Also, they've got that whip-like tail. So they're really just not a fun lizard to have 
whatsoever if they're not nice. <laughs> and that is uh, very rare in this species. And there are a few exceptions. Some of the iguanas that have been bred in captivity that are maybe like different color morphs and things like that, it's still a very high maintenance lizard. And it all is kind of like, you know, kind of back, backtracks to is it right for them? And is it right for you to, um, to for adoption purposes? But they are literally one of the worst pets I can think of as far as lizards go, um, because of all those factors. And I hope I'm making sense. But uh, there are a few exceptions. As you can see, Joanna's one of them. She's actually pretty chill. Um, she's wonderful for programs. We don't really let guests touch or hold her because she absolutely does not tolerate that from strangers. Um, but she's great at just kind of sitting or laying on a table and letting people admire her and come see her and take photos with her. She's great for that. And she will um, eat salad in front of people, which is always a big hit. One of these days I'll have to feed you guys, feed you guys, feed her for you guys. And maybe I'll feed you guys too <laughs> if you haven't visited me. Um, but there are videos on our TikTok and Instagram of Joanna eating salad and looking just so cute while she does that. They have a really pretty pink tongue. Before we go, let's talk about iguana senses. So remember, they have a great sense of vision, full color vision. They see very far away and very sharply. Um, they also see color to be able to determine diet and things like that since they're herbivores in the jungle. They see all the colors. They also see with their third eye, which is kind of like an extra sense for them. The sensory of shadows and movement straight to the brain from their clear scale or the perennial scale or perennial eye on top of their head. And that's pretty awesome. They do hear very well. You can actually see her ears right above that scale we talked about. See the cheek scale? And there's also a little circle above the cheek scale. That is her ears. And they do have really good hearing. They're not a super noisy lizard, but they do hear very well. You can see how observant an iguana is. They also have a great sense of touch. They can feel everything that touches them. What else? Taste as well. All five senses. They're just wonderful, amazing animals, but not the best pet choice for probably you, <laughs> probably anybody, right? She is very sassy. You are right. She's sleeping. She was, I think she was more like pretending to sleep. So maybe I would put her down. <laughs> now these, uh, these really fun flaps of skin under the iguana's neck are called dewlaps. And she's got one. I use the plural term for some reason, but she's got one dewlap <laughs> and the dewlap can be used to actually attract mates when it comes to being a male iguana. Remember the male iguanas are bigger. Oh, you're squishy. Oh, just close your eyes. Um, but it's very soft as well. But she's got like a, a ridge, like a cartilage section right here that can lift this dewlap to be much bigger and look bigger to predators. For a male, it could attract mates or even look impressive to other males, right? For territorial purposes, etc. Um, other lizards do the same thing as well with their neck flaps or even just turning their neck different colors. Um, they can also get more sun that way, almost like a little, a little sail that attracts more heat and sun. Um, their whole body can turn darker if she wants to warm up. She can actually change color, like kind of like a chameleon. Uh, chameleons are much more well known for changing their color with their chromatophores and iridophores, right? And their skin, like almost like pore-like properties. Oh, we love Joanna. Wake up, Joanna. Um, can you wake up? What if we... Uh, yes, I think we'll wake up. There we go. Wake up, baby. Just a little bit longer. We're almost done. You're a great sport. Um, but they do change their color mostly to change their temperature. So if an iguana is feeling too cold, they will warm up their body in the sun, right? But they will turn darker to get warmer faster in the sun um another thing they can do is that they feel too they feel too um warm they can lighten their body and be a nice light green she's got kind of a green belly right now it's not super green she's kind of a brownish color right now remember we're inside it's also winter time it's not super warm 
How much sleep do they need? That's a great question. I don't really know like how many hours of sleep they need, but they're a strictly diurnal or daytime type of animal. So she will sleep all night long, but if the sun comes out, she will pep up and kind of wake up and look to go sunbathe. They also take a lot of naps, <laughs> kind of like a spirit animal, right? Lots of naps in between. Most lizards are kind of like that. They'll take several naps throughout the day, um, but a diurnal species for sure. So usually the typical day of an iguana, remember they don't have to deal with a whole lot of seasonal change in the jungle. So sun goes down, they sleep all night long and they try to stay nice and still to be safe and hidden from enemies like owls at night or jaguar or something. They blend in nicely to the backdrop being a shade of green, right? Or brown depending on their color change and things. They also might change color to show their mood as well and to even attract mates seasonally for males. Those males are always working hard to get the ladies during the mating season. Uh, but <laughs> for in many ways, right? Pretty cool. Um, but, which is another thing they have in common with birds. Isn't that neat? Oh my gosh, we're finding new things to talk about with birds every day, Army Joanna. She's like, leave me alone. I don't like you right now. But I love you. Um, anyway, so they have, uh, for sleeping. So they're going to wake up in the day. As soon as the sun comes out, they'll typically start waking up. As soon as it gets warm enough and they feel their metabolism going, they might go get a little snack of leaves and, and fruits and maybe flowers in their tree that they're already living in. The tree is shelter. It's a bed, it's a home and it's food for them. It's everything in one. A truly arboreal species living in the trees, not a terrestrial species like the tortoise. And the boa constrictor might be arboreal or terrestrial, depending on their size and how heavy they are and if they feel like climbing uh, or depending on their mood and where they want to be. That's a great question, though, Ash. I really love that question. How much sleep do they need? Every animal species, of course, has a different sleep pattern. These guys tend to sleep a lot. <laughs> As you can see, she wants to go sleep right now. So maybe we should let her. Let's go ahead and let Joanna uh, go back down and rest for a little bit. And then she can go back home to her indoor enclosure. Which she does have an indoor enclosure when it's too cold to be outside. And she does have an outdoor space, which is much larger. But we can walk in. We can get her a shower. She can swim in a pool. She can climb on tree branches. She also typically does share space with our tortoises when it's warm enough to keep them outside all the time. And they get along just fine because they're both herbivores. And in the wild, they would be around each other as well. So you would have tortoises on the ground and on the jungle floor and iguanas up in the trees. And both of those are not predators. So they get along just fine. The boa constrictor, of course, lives by himself. <laughs> he is kept uh, singly, solitarily. Is that a word? I hope so. Um, and um, most snakes are like that. Most snakes are actually solitary animals. They prefer to be all alone. Iguanas can um, tolerate each other a little bit if they're raised together, but you want to make sure and have a huge amount of space. Um, and males and males are really not a good idea to have housed together. Tortoises of this species get along really well. Any, any gender, um, the red-footed tortoises, that's partially why I selected red-footed tortoises because they're very tolerant of each other and all sorts of different situations. They're not a very um, pushy tortoise. Some other tortoises are actually um, pretty well known for like flipping each other over if it's two males, um, like for example, radiated tortoises and sometimes even sulcata tortoises. They can be a little bit aggressive with one another, but red-footed tortoises and yellow-footed tortoises and some of those similar species are really not. Um, like that at all. They're actually pretty passive and peaceful animal. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed our animal encounter. Remember, this occurs each and every Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. We have Once in a Wild Wednesday for free for you guys. If you guys have enjoyed what you saw, 
today with David Boa, the boa constrictor, um, Shelton John the tortoise, and Joanna the green iguana, of course. Um, and you want to help us out and make sure that all of our animals are well taken care of, you can visit onceonawild.com slash donate. We have several donation options like Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, Amazon Wishlist, and we even have Patreon now where you can actually sponsor our animals, as you can see down below on most of our platforms right now. It says sponsor our animals in great big letters. We're trying to announce that and let you guys know that that is a possibility as well to pick your favorite animals or whatever you want. And you can sponsor um, a small amount or a large amount of your choosing, or you can actually specifically select the animals. And if you guys have ever used Patreon, you actually get something in return. Um, you're going to get special videos. You're going to get special photos that only you get to see, maybe behind the scenes footage. Maybe you get to see um, videos and footage and photos before we post them, things like that. We're still working on that because it's very new, but we appreciate that nonetheless. If you guys just want to donate anything at all, you know what to do. Onceonawild.com slash donate. But an even better way to help us out is by doing what you're doing right now. It's actually just uh, uh, supporting us here on our show. You can actually um, subscribe and follow us on social media. All the links are down below in the description box. Uh, Instagram as well. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you for being a great uh, follower on Instagram too. But for the other ones, all the uh, descriptions are down below and Instagram is down below too if you don't see that. Um, also, Another great way to help us out, and my favorite way, of course, is by uh, hiring us for your own animal program. We can bring the zoo to you in person or virtually, virtually to anybody all over the world, but in person right here in the South Texas area. So please let me know if you're interested. We would love to bring David Boa, Shelton John, or Joanna the Iguana to you in person or virtually or any of the other animals that we house here at Once in a While. We hope you guys have really enjoyed the show, and we hope you have a great rest of your week, and we hope to see you next time here at Once in a Wild Wednesday. We are not the good, we are the Bye, everybody. We'll see you next week right here in the same time, at the same time, in the same place, all over social media for Once in a Wild Wednesday. We hope to see you next time. Bye.